You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Well, hello and welcome to episode three of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. That's a difficult third album, Steve. Absolutely, absolutely. But we're still proving that the ugly side of football still exists and our beauty regime consists of apple bobbing in a deep fat fryer. Absolutely, yes. I mean, this face, God-given. The rest of it I have to work on. Uh, <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Our Bar in the El Zocco Centre, Calahonda, uh, who very, very kindly provide us with sustenance and uh, a place to record. Uh, big shout out to Steve at Costa Sis, uh, which is a computer centre in the El Zocco Centre here in Calahonda, uh, for all your com- computer needs on the Costa del Sol. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Taxi Point, uh, which is a taxi trade magazine uh, with impartial news and information about the taxi industry. Uh, and you can get uh, all the information about them by going to their website, uh, which is uh, all the W's dot taxi dash point dot co dot UK. On to the football, Steve. I mean, since we last recorded an episode, all I can say is bloody hell, football, bloody uh, hell. Yeah. I mean, it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? Incredible yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Shall we start off with Kepa? Yeah, I think we'll start off with oh. uh, goalkeepers and cup finals and all that sort Dear of thing. Oh, Lord. Um, I mean, it, it's opened up a bit of a can of worms, isn't it, Chris? Because Kepa refusing to leave the pitch, um, you know, he's on X amount, well, he's a 70-odd million euro or pound asset, and you've got the manager telling him to leave the pitch, you've got the coaching staff telling him to leave the pitch, regardless of the reason why He's being told to leave the pitch, and yet he's refusing to go. Who's calling the shots at Chelsea? Well, yeah, I mean, this is again. We've had this before, haven't we, at Chelsea? And it's a, it's a sort of, it's an annual thing. Uh, player power. I mean, they ousted Mourinho. They've ousted uh, better men than the current manager, or you know, stronger men possibly. Uh, the players have come out and said, you know, they're all for sorry ball, whatever that might be. Um, but the thing that got me about that whole incident uh, during that uh, cup final. Uh, of course, we're talking about the Carabao Cup, which uh, yeah. Man City went on to win on penalties, which is why the whole incident occurred. The keeper uh, said he had cramp and uh, said then told, he says, told the powers that be uh, that, that he was fine and he didn't want to come off. Um, the manager says he misunderstood and thought the player wanted to come off. I think that's ridiculous. I, I, I think he's, he, he, he's, he's talking absolute nonsense. He's doing it to cover his own backside, to cover Chelsea's backside. Um, I think, you know... If you look, Willy Caballero was was lined up to come on. Willy Caballero's got an incredible penalty stop rate anyway. Um, you know, this isn't the first time that a, that a keeper has been substituted for a better penalty stopper. The Dutch have done it in the past. Um, you, you play to your strengths. And with, okay, Kepa's gone down with cramp. If you saw, I think it was the second penalty, went underneath his body. Um, it was very slowed down. It opens up wider ramifications at every club, though, because if Kepa has gotten away with this, who's to say it's not going to happen at any other club? And bear in mind, these players are on significant amount of money, more so than the manager. Well, absolutely. Um, apparently, Kepa is on £161,000 per week for every week, whether he refuses to come off or not, or refuses to go on. But this does, as you say, it does bring on the idea of you know players just saying, no, I'm not coming off. Uh, and also the captain really 
being the captain, should have said, look, the manager's saying going off, get off. Um, I mean, would they so have gone on to, wi to win it? Because he did let a soft penalty in. We'll never know, of course. No, no. I mean, it, it's a difficult one to call as to whether whether they would have won it or not. Um, he He has shown the club disrespect. I think he's disrespected the fans as well because ultimately... The fans, you know, they're paying, they pay good money. The manager is there to make a specific decision to disregard the manager's decision without really having a conversation with the manager. I'm sorry, he, he's let the club down regardless of whether he's worth 70 million, whether he's worth 7 million. Absolutely. And a little bit of football trivia for you, uh, Steve, because uh, Steve Kenton is a big, big fan of trivia, especially uh, from the older side of the game. Uh, during the semi-final of the World Cup in 1930, and this is to do with players being injured, during the 1930 World Cup semi-final between the USA, and who said they never played football, the USA in 1930 against Argentina, an American player got injured, was down on the ground. The trainer, who also doubled as the medic, I suppose, ran onto the pitch with his bag of tricks, um, tripped over and spilt everything everywhere, including breaking a bottle of chloroform, which he then dutifully uh, um, <laughs> inhaled and was knocked out. <laughs> and he had to be stretched off, by which time the other player was uh, up and running and playing again. Mm -hmm. uh, the ref apparently was fuming. Now, let's move oh. on. Uh, so we're, we're dealing with Kepa. I mean, it's <laughs> get worse. Um, uh, we I? have we have got a special guest uh, here with us today, a very dear friend of ours, and one of our regular uh, pundits on uh, the Saturday sports show that uh, Steve and I uh, do for ninety three point six Global Radio. Also, big friends of ours here on the Costa del Sol. Uh, Jeff Saunders, a West Ham fan. Your take on um, the Kepa incident? Um, well, I think I think it's been overblown a lot. Um, he should have come off. Absolutely no question about that. You, the, it's the manager's call, and it doesn't matter who you are, you come off. But I think Chelsea managed it very well at the end by you know, the way they, they, they managed the PR rather than. So after Kepper had done his apologies to the team and mm. kind of a public apology again, he kind of killed it. So as a well listening PR, I think they did extremely well after. That. Well, I mean the fact that I mean the funniest part is yes, they did. Eventually, they managed to PR PR all over it. But um, they did they did say at the time uh, that it was a complete misunderstanding. You know, nothing to see here. Uh, but then it was dropped for a game and fined a week's wages. So a little bit of double sort of yeah, take I mean on it that it one. It's tough having a misunderstanding at Chelsea, obviously. But of, <laughs> course it, of course, it wasn't a misunderstanding. It was a, I think everybody understood perfectly well what was yes, going on. Yes, it was on. clear, really. It was clear. Manchester United went laughing all the way home. Um, Manchester City, I should say. Well, I think Manchester United probably did as well. Yeah, they probably did as well, actually. Probably enjoyed that day out as much as anybody else. That was the most notable thing about that cup final, let's be honest. It was a pretty boring game all round. And it's a cup that people have forgotten. Yeah, I think they... Well, I think it's probably right that they've forgotten. I think they should just take take Premier League teams out of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the old days you could get into a Cup Winners' Cup and maybe we'll speak about that uh, later on uh, should they bring the Cup Winners' Cup back. Uh, we are going to move on, though, uh, because we've got an awful lot to get through on uh, Carl and Kenneth sitting in the bar from Monocles to Man Buns um, on episode three. Exciting stuff. Um, Steve, you've been... I mean, this was a shocking incident. You'll be listening to this in the future on the old internet-y, webby, dongly thingy. Um, so this will be, a you know... Not as uh, near past as it is for us, but uh, still as shocking no matter when you uh, look at it. Um, over the weekend just gone for us, uh, there were three attacks on footballers. Uh, one in the Scottish League on Friday, then on Saturday, and then on Sunday, attacks on players. 
Um, uh, you know, I don't know if this is the Brexit effect or what it is, but there does seem to be an element of yobbishness and hooliganism spreading back into British society across the board, bit of politics, um, but also into football, which is a representation in many ways and a reflection of society as a whole, as far as I'm concerned. It's certainly an indication or some sort of benchmark of benchmark of behaviour. But let's start with the main one, uh, Jack Grealish. Now, a bit of background about that. Uh, of course, he was playing uh, in his hometown. He's a Birmingham boy, born and raised, and even you know, got still got the accents and all that. Uh, playing for Aston Villa against Birmingham, big derby, lot of tension, lot of excitement. We love a derby. Uh, a fan uh, who we can name and shame, uh, Paul Mitchell, 27. Uh, where did he live, Steve? This might be relevant. <coughs> This, this is the bit where I have uh, my Frankie Howard laugh coming on. Yep. Um, Cock Hill Lane. And believe me, <laughs> this guy really was a complete. <coughs> yes, he Cock was. Uh, he's been banned for 10 years from uh, going to football. Fined 350 quid, uh, including £100 for Grealish's pain, discomfort and shock. Uh, he's also got, what is it, 14 weeks in prison. Indeed, yes. What he did was, he, I mean, there's two, two sides, there's not two sides to this story, uh, there are two parts to this story, uh, because not only did he run onto the field and attempt to punch Jack Grealish, um, who actually, by the way, went on to score the winning goal, and that's where the, the only goal, and that's where the second part of, and shocking part of the story comes in. Um, possibly a little bit overexcited, Jack Grealish, I mean, a big, big day for him, scoring the goal after that horrendous attack, ran to the away fans, jumped over the advertising board, boarding and celebrated with them. An official Birmingham City steward uh, then grabbed him by the back, kicked him in the back of the legs and pushed him to try and get him back onto the pitch. And the steward was then led away by police. Not a very good day at the office for Birmingham City, who, of course, are taking serious action. But all round, that was one attack. There was another one. In the Arsenal game, and you're mm. an Arsenal fan, Steve, so I'll leave that to yeah. you. Yeah, um, <coughs> A young lad by the name of Gary Cooper has been charged with assault for shoving Chris Smalling. Gary Cooper comes riding in on a horse <laughs> and just shoves disgrace on the game. Uh, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he's facing a life ban. Arsenal have said they're going to ban him for life. And I think that's absolutely right. The one thing I, I wouldn't like to see... Um, across the board here, whether it be Arsenal, Birmingham, or um, who was the Scottish side? It, it was, was, uh, uh, was Hibernian. It was Hibs, wasn't it? Yeah, or Hibs. I don't want to see the clubs punished because the clubs can only do so much. There is only so much that these clubs can do. If someone is determined to get on the pitch, they're going to get on the pitch, regardless of who the club is. I don't want to see a points deduction. I don't. Want, uh, why, sh um, why should there be games played behind closed doors? It's punishing good fans, honest fans who are just there to watch a, a game, all for the actions of one idiot. Um, I think just punishing the idiot itself is is enough. Well, uh, I mean, I dare I say our fellow punditry colleagues, uh, Shearer, for example, and uh, others on Match of the Day, including uh, Gary Neville, I believe, um, on Sky, uh, both saying that they believe that uh, teams to whom this happens or on whom on whose grounds this happens should be deducted points and made to play behind closed doors. Now that's one thing, but there are two teams involved in a match. So if you're going to make them play behind closed doors, the other team who've done nothing, who are, let's say, the visiting supporters, the visiting team, they suffer as well. Uh, 
perhaps, perhaps their 4,000 supporters should be let in the ground and let loose in the ground to enjoy a day out. While, let's say, it's Birmingham against, Birmingham against West Brom. West Brom fans come to Birmingham. They enjoy the ground. They enjoy the game, support their team, and Birmingham get nothing. Because otherwise, you're banning both sets of fans mm. for something one guy did. One absolute idiot so who we have no truck uh, with. One of the things that, that tends to get lost in this as well is sometimes you get fans encroach onto the pitch in celebration. And... and they're, they're in no way trying to harm anybody. They're in no way trying to damage the club or the cl any club's reputation. Um, where do you draw that line? You're punishing a club for the actions of an individual. Uh, you know, we all have to take responsibility for ourselves. And I think Birmingham, I think Arsenal, and I'm sure Hibernian as well, will be taking the relevant action against these individuals to prevent them ever entering the ground again. All right, and Jeff, you you've got uh, maybe a different opinion on that. Well, no, I I, I I agree with Steve, but it's quite interesting that Jurgen Klopp got so excited he ran onto the pitch in celebration, got a fifty thousand pound fine, which is a lot more than this guy got for running on the pitch and thumping somebody. Well, is this is this socialism in action? <laughs> from <laughs> uh, to whom according to his needs, from whom according to his ability. I mean, the the kid, obviously, you know, 27-year-old fellow, you know, I don't know what his job was, but it certainly wasn't, you know, earning 300 grand a week as a football manager. Um, by the way, he might have, I mean, not only has he gone to prison, uh, he'll probably most undoubtedly, I'm sure, lost his job over it. Klopp obviously just paid a day's wages and carried on. So yep, it, I mean, you're saying this one law for one and one law for another. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, as Steve says, there is a difference between running on the pitch enjoy and celebration and running on to try and harm somebody well yes yeah, and, this, this and you've is got probably to put a stop to that yeah but I mean if, if, if anyone remembers what used to happen in the 70s and 80s at football grounds yeah I mean if you're going to take a swing at a player rather than a swing at a water bottle as Mourinho's done or Arsene Wenger's done that's one thing but taking a swing at a player in I mean obviously harm was meant yes uh, harm was meant yeah. and if it, I mean he didn't connect did he particularly um, but harm was meant he you know, could have he could have injured the player and it, it, that's an assault no matter yeah, where it takes if place. It had been, uh, if it had been an opposition player that touched him like that, of course he'd have gone down like a sack of spuds, wouldn't he? But yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it had been, yes. Ne Neymar would still be rolling around now. <laughs> I thought Neymar was rolling around after Grealish got hit, wasn't he? He probably was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he came out in sympathy. Um, the, th the thing is, uh, j just to add one last point to this, had Grealish been attacked in the street and he'd have gone face down onto the ground, that punch could have killed him. And that that's it. that should not be underestimated. That really shouldn't be underestimated. That punch could quite conceivably have killed him. Well, yeah. I mean, you see it so often in the street. You know, fights after the pub and all those shocking incidents mm. uh, where one punch they go down and they never get up again. Yeah, that, that's usually me, isn't it? <laughs> on the receiving end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have more about the joys of being a taxi driver <laughs> later on in the show. <laughs> Let's move on rapidly because um, it has been. I mean, it's been. Such an incredible couple of weeks mm. since we last recorded the show. Um, Man United, like I said, football, bloody hell. Man United against PSG. What a game. Um, and then Arsenal against Man United. Probably, for me, you know, I remember the days when Ferguson was Man United manager. If United lost in Europe, you didn't want to be the team in the league to face them the next mm. game yeah. because they always punished the next team. Possibly... The game against PSG, which is outrageous. Nobody's ever done that. In 45 attempts, no yep. team in Europe has ever come back from losing 2-0 at home uh, to then go through in the next round in the knockout stage. Never been done before. Mm. And United, we'll talk about the VAR incident in a little bit. N whether it was correct or not, we, we will discuss. But United got through, never done before. 
They then had to face Arsenal, who for me, you know, Man United against Arsenal is not a derby, but it's one of the biggest matches in, prem- in the mm. Premier League. Uh, whichever way you look at it, there's been so many violent conduct between players, pizza being thrown around, all those kind of yeah. things. Um, possibly a step too far for United. Uh, to be honest with you, I think both sides were absolutely knackered. It's just Arsenal were less knackered than Manchester United, quite frankly. Yeah, quite quite possibly. Um, I mean, you know, you look at you look at both their European performances. Um, Manchester United, <laughs> incredible. Arsenal, just unbelievably poor. Uh, and you know, I I think Arsenal were fresher on the day, despite playing a, a, a day later. You know. Um, they still remembered how to play. They didn't have so much of a well, break. Well, yeah. Them. I mean, but it is a tale of two two VAR decisions. I mean, the decisions were correct. That I, I don't think the decisions were wrong, but I do think that um, had it had been down to the referee and the referee alone, maybe those decisions wouldn't have been given. I, I still maintain, despite both Man United and Arsenal uh, profiting from the VAR decisions, I still th- I'm still not sure about VAR mm. uh, and how it how it's being interpreted and the delays involved. Uh, and and, it, and its interference with the integrity of the sport. Well, the last couple of weeks have been a big time for VAR. First of all, which we're going to talk about now, the Man United goal um, against PSG that took them through to the next round. Uh, several days later, this last weekend, as far as we're concerned, this last weekend, um, Real Madrid were playing in a crunch game. You know, the manager lost his job over it, uh, over that time. Uh, Real Madrid were playing in a game. Uh, they got a, um, a late goal due to VAR. Uh, the referee actually wasn't going to give the goal, decided that he was going to go to VAR, was told that he was going to go to VAR. Uh, and as VAR decision was coming through, uh, there were live scenes of the VAR room, which was in fact empty. There was nobody sat looking at the screens. Now, the, <laughs> the La Liga, um, the FA of Spain, uh, Spanish FA, have said that uh, those are shots of a different VAR room, uh, the one we used. <laughs> there was people in it, but so <laughs> it makes it, it one, you know, it's like, it, you, you know, it makes you wonder who's, you know, who's really in charge here and is it, was it already decided. But let's look at the Man United one first. What <laughs> happened there, Steve? Well, it, I, I think that... that the decision, I mean, how long did the decision take, Chris? I mean, what was it? It, it took a while, didn't it? It was, yes, it did. It I mean, did, it, it took quite a um, while to... About th- Jeff is indicating it. Jeff's someone three minutes, apparently. Three, three minutes, listen, there for you go. Listen, you know, for both teams, neither knew which way it was going to go. You but would want... Th- and so minutes, would the fans. You want three it? minutes to know if you're going to go through or not. Three minutes is an eternity in football, isn't it? But, you know, you can f- quite conceivably score another two goals in three minutes without any real trouble whatsoever. You're telling me that. I'm a Tottenham fan, so no. Oh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, the decision was the correct decision. Let, let, it, you know, it, it was unquestionably the correct decision, but I, I still maintain that it's taken away some of the integrity of that particular game. And that's not knocking Man United, because I'm quite glad they've gone through. But but it, it's it's definitely interfering, having an adverse effect in Absolutely. the... Um, well, in the way the sport flows. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with it. The point is that it, in in the, the the law, it went through because it was a correct decision. Um, the, 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 the Tuchel, the, um, the yeah. uh, PSG uh, manager, said uh, that should never have counted. The shot wasn't on target. Now, I seem to know, 
it seems to me, the law better than he does. A shot doesn't that hits doesn't an arm doesn't have to be on target for it to be a goal. Penalty. There is a discrepancy in in relation of the fact that what is what constitutes handball nowadays. There seems to be some dispute. You know, if if a player is three yards away from a ball being struck at roughly eighty mile an hour, then realistically, you're never going to get your arm out of the way. Well, um, UEFA and the English FA, uh, the rules for handball are different in both competitions. Actually, this is the problem. Um, the Jeff, you're you're saying knows that, but uh, UEFA I'm have I'm this thing about I'm silhouette. The rules have never never been changed. Handball, according to the rules of football, must be deliberate. What is different is the interpretation of deliberate and the advice to referees as to what constitutes deliberate. And I, I think in the the World Cup final, it was impossible for is it Perisic, who who was accused of handballing, impossible for him to get his hand out of the way. Impossible, couldn't be done. The guy, the PSG guy, had his back turned. And his arm close close to his close to his his body. How on earth can anybody say that was deliberate handball? Well, he, he couldn't see it. That's what you're saying. He couldn't exactly. see it. Yeah. So how could it be deliberate? The the problem is the referees are now they're refereeing the advice, not the rule, not the law. And if they go back to the law and start using their judgment, we'll get better decisions. We will occasionally get wrong ones, but generally speaking, they'll be better. Yeah, and nobody who has his back turned with his arm close to his body can ever be accused of deliberately handling the ball because he didn't. And the law still says it must be deliberate. Yeah, I mean, if the... Uh, look, I, I had a little look at this. The UEFA say <laughs> they've got this bizarre wording that um, if the arm is in an unnatural position re in regard to the silhouette of the body... Now, that's very poetic, uh, but means nothing. Um, but so... In the letter of the law, I suppose Man United got through, um, but really, did they? Because was it deliberate? They are talking, uh, the English FA at least, of taking the word deliberate out of the ruling. Handball will just be handball. <coughs> yeah, there, there needs to be clarification across the board. Um, what concerns me is if you take away the term deliberate, you're going to get players literally aiming at other players, uh, aiming at their upper arm, aiming at their lower arm, and eventually a penalty is going to be given or, or any sort of decision is going to be given when, quite frankly, there is nothing any given player can physically do to avoid being struck by the ball. So I, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I think it's got to be down to the referee on the pitch and the referee's interpretation on the pitch at that point in time mm. or, or obviously the the, um, the second officials. Yes, I mean, this, this whole thing about... the. I, I mean, I'm a great believer in technology, and I think it is the way forward. But it's the the jury is still out on VAR, especially when it did. You know, it's not. It's still people looking at the screen. Um, it's still human error. But for me, the the thing that I don't understand is if you if your arm is away from your body and you're sort of aiming it towards the ball, fair enough. But the idea that when you're an athlete in motion, and you're you know you might be pedalling back because they're heading into the, the the penalty area, and you've got to keep your arms pressed against your body. Um, preferably behind your back, that to me is unnatural. Not having your arms away from your body, actually. And they say unnatural movement of the arm. Well, it's unnatural to keep your arms at the side of your body. If you're an athlete and the adrenaline is pumping and you're a footballer and the guy's attacking you, your, your arms are going to be swinging and they might be swinging away or towards the ball or the ball, ball towards them. You can't keep your arms pressed aside. You'll fall over, I do. 
Yeah, no, exactly. You will fall over because a, lo a lot of the movements of the arm are actually quite a natural counterbalance when you're moving. So it's you know it, it's it's a complete nonsense. I, I agree with using VAR, but I do think the screen should be available to the referee, and the referee still makes the decision. The referee says, "Okay, I've had a look at it. I'm sticking with my decision. I don't think that was deliberate." Yeah, now I mean, the one of the problems is that when the referees aren't allowed to speak, they're not allowed to tell what it is that they've done, and mm. I think most football fans, you know, over the course of a season, would much prefer a referee afterwards to say, "Look, I saw that. This is how I saw it. This is how it was." You might disagree, but that's what I felt, and most fans would go, "Yeah, okay," because. You know, half the fans in the stadium think one thing and the other half think the opposite, don't they? Yeah, but exactly. But, you know, give the referees, support referees, give them a chance to have their say. Yeah. And trust them to referee the match. Not have some people sat in a van somewhere making decisions when you've got a referee on the pitch. I think, though, you might you might correct me on this one. Uh, the PSG and Man United game, he actually went to the side of the pitch, the referee, and stood there <laughs> looking very sort of uh, official with his arms behind his mm. back, legs akimbo, staring in tech. So he actually had the screen on the side of the pitch, which makes more sense than going, as Jeff Saunders said, going to the back of a van and, you know, four people are going, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, and then well, three of them going, oh, well, I think that... It's just like on Match of the Day, you've got Alan Shearer and Jermaine Genus and Gary Lineker. They still can't decide between the three of them and they've had the beauty of, you know, rehearsing and preparing for a programme and they watch it from all angles. One says it's a penalty, the other says no, it isn't. It, it, it's still it's three people looking at the same screen. The, the thing is, it's, what do we want football to be? Do we want football to be an instantaneous, spontaneous sport that is going to be subject to errors on the pitch by players and referees because it's, it is all about interpretation of, of the rules or the laws? Um or do we want something that has been so overly sanitised you cannot actively make a mistake? It, 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 it's it's down to to ourselves as fans what we want football to be. We can either accept what is going on in relation to VAR, which is an imperfect science, and I totally get that. It has to be tested. Or we can reject it and turn around and say, no, we are not happy with this as fans. We are the paying public. We do not want this. Now, obviously, it's worked in Man United's favour. It's worked in Arsenal's favour this time round. But I would rather see the imperfections. You take out the imperfections, you lose discussion points. Absolutely, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, we are going to move on. Uh, we're going to have a bit of uh, football a retro and football history oh, in just yes. a little while. Before that, I'd just like to say a big thank you to Gary Filawalo, who's uh, just a wonderful help with production on this uh, series, uh, of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, from uh, football from monocles to man buns, and a big thank you uh, to our friends at Our Bar. You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Streets, our bar is the place where you should meet. Open from one until late. Come and try our food out because it always tastes great. All sports are shown in here. 
We've got eight plasma screens and we've got ice cold beer. Our bar in the middle of our streets. Our bar, Calahondas where you meet. Our bar, El Soco is a place to be. Our bar, we're so kind and we're so friendly. With great food and good value, make our bar your bar. It would be madness not to. Find us on Facebook at our bar. Bar there. Uh, thank you very much to our bar in the El Zocco Centre, Cala Honda, uh, on the Costa del Sol, where we're recording from. Also, big thanks to our sponsors, Taxi Point, uh, which is uh, an online magazine bringing you um, impartial information and news about the taxi industry. And you can reach them on all of w's.taxi-point.co.uk. And a big thanks to Steve, uh, just up the road from us in the uh, El Zocco Centre, at uh, Compsys. Uh, for all your computer needs on the Costa del Sol. Hello, Steve. Uh, thanks for your contribution. Um, Steve. Steve Kenton. Uh, this is Carl and Kenners hitting the bar. From Monocles to Man Buns with me, Chris Carl, a Spurs fan, it says here. And Steve Kenton, an Arsenal fan. Allegedly. From Monocles to Man Buns means that not only do we look at the modern game, but we, th- we love looking at how the game developed. Uh, you've got some uh, a very interesting story about Sheffield City, Steve. Uh, Sheffield Football Club, yes. Yeah. So we love our retro. So we're going to look at pretty much every single football club across the country. <coughs> we're not quite going and to Arsenal. Do and Arsenal. What do you mean, and Arsenal? <laughs> Listen, for a marsh dweller, <laughs> uh, you, you've got a lot to say for yourself. Plumstead Come back and talk to me when you've won a trophy. Um, well, <laughs> well thank, thank, you, thank you so much, Steve, for, for giving such confidence in, in the state of my health and thinking I'm young enough to ever to be able to see that. <laughs> Uh, wasn't Winston Churchill still alive the last time you won a, won a title? Right, moving on, Steve. Thank yeah. you. Okay, anyway, <coughs> moving on. Yes, Sheffield Football Club. Sheffield FC. Um, they are technically, they usurp Notts County as the oldest football club in the world. Um, oldest professional, because prof- as we yeah, know, yeah, d- yeah, there exactly, isn't an yeah. even an older club. That's yeah, uh, exa- yeah, exactly. So, <coughs> well they are obviously, they reside from South Yorkshire. They're now based in Dronfield in Derbyshire, believe it or not. Yeah, no, straight up, they, they, they play in Derbyshire, which is a bit, bit of an odd one, but there you go. They were founded in 1857, and the club was officially recognised as the oldest existing club still playing football, and that's uh, on the planet. Um, Sheffield had their own rules as well. Um, they didn't adopt FA rules until 1978. Um, the club competes in a rules-only derby with near neighbours Hallam, although they're technically not so near on the basis that they're now playing in derby. In 2004, they were given the FIFA Order of Merit, an award given to only one other club, and that was Real Madrid. And in 2007, they were inducted into the English Football Hall of Fame to commemorate their 150th anniversary, um, which is is an, is an incredible feat for a, for for a club that's not that, that I think they're playing in the eighth the eighth tier of football. Um, their finest hour came in 1904. They won the FA <laughs> Amateur Cup. So it was a little while ago. Um, um, you know, just just a few just, longer just wait than Tottenham have had. Look at well, that. Yeah, yeah. It was just just a few a few months before your birth, actually. Yeah, sure. um, <laughs> and and that competition was conceived after a suggestion by Sheffield themselves. They also finished runners up. Ah, wait. Can I just FA. stop you there? Yeah, go on, so they won something on a suggestion by themselves. Is this like the Emirates Cup? By any chance? 
Moving on. <laughs> yes. Um, listen, there, silverware I? is silverware. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, and I still refer back to the title. Um, <laughs> they also finished as runners-up in the FA Vars in 1977, which is a great trophy to compete in. Um, Flower arranging at its best. God, dear, oh dear. <laughs> Flat, well you said, oh. never mind, Steve, sorry. I don't know where to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1855, members of a Sheffield cricket club organised an informal kickabout without any official rules. Subsequently, two members, Nathaniel Cresswick and William Prest, formed the Sheffield Football Club. <clears throat> now, there were, back in those days... There was many, many different kinds of football available. So you had Sheffield rules, you had um, dif dif different rules applied to different regions. Um, one of the formats that was taken was the married versus singles or professionals versus the rest tournaments. Uh, married versus singles would be very interesting, considering roughly 66% of the uh, population in the UK are divorced now. Um, so... A lot of these players came from various public schools as well, and um, Sheffield rules varied against the uh, what what became FA rules. Um, they became members of the Football Association in 1863, but could still continue to use their own set of rules. Um, the club played its first fixture fixture outside Sheffield against Nottingham, uh, playing an 18 aside game under Nottingham rules. It gets more bizarre, doesn't it? <coughs> it does. That's fascinating stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here I've learned I, I had no idea about. In 1873, they entered the FA Cup for the first time. Their first ever tie in the competition was against the might of Shropshire Wanderers, being decided after a replay by a coin toss. Wow. So, uh, you know, I mean, forget VAR. Yeah. We've got the toss of a coin now. No, just, just the same, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Just yeah, pretty much, yeah. And, and they would reach the fourth round of the competition in 1877 and in 1879. Sheffield's decline from the top echelon began with the introduction of professionalism. Uh, story of our lives, really. Absolutely. You know, yeah, um, uh, what can I say? <laughs> it, it, just, well, don't say it. No, you're right. Don't say it. They failed to compete against professional teams, losing heavily that uh, in 1885 against teams like Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest and Notts County. And after the legislation of professionalism, the staunchly amateur Sheffield suggested to the FA the creation of a cup exclusively for amateurs. Um, so Spurs are regularly competing in that, obviously. Oh, oh. I'm sorry. Really? That was below the belt. Really and actually, really? I'm not sorry. Um <laughs> The FA, <laughs> the FA Amateur Cup was inaugurated in 1893, and Sheffield, as I said earlier, won it in 1904. Brilliant. Um, 2007, though, they entered their 150th year, as we spoke about earlier on, and they finished runners-up in the league in that year to secure promotion to the national prem, national prem. Sorry, put my teeth in. Northern. Northern Premier League. <laughs> this is what happens when you've had one too many wines from Stuart Hill Wines um, for the first time. In 2007, FIFA president Sepp Blatter attended the club's anniversary dinner. Really? Yeah. So well, did I'm you think there was money to be made there or well, something? Well, what was going uh, on? 
I don't know whether that could be considered as a blessing or a curse. Really, yeah. And yeah. the following month, the club played an anniversary celebration match against Internazionale and Ajax at Bramall Lane. That is fantastic. I'll tell you what, Steve. I think we, uh, because we are on Twitter, at Carl and Kenners, mm. uh, you can find us there. I think I am going to find them on Twitter and contact them and let them know about this podcast and how we have done an homage uh, and pay tribute to them because that is an amazing history. And, I, I, yeah, I think we should contact them and let them know. I, that I, I, I think you're podcast. absolutely right. I mean, th- what is really incredible here, and a lot of people would not be aware of this, Pele was guest of honour at the first game and introduced to the teams before the before before the game, we introduced the team to the crowd. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the match against Inter ended five two to Inter with wow. over eighteen thousand supporters turning up, and the Inter side consisted of Marco Materazzi and a very young Mario Balotelli. Wow, that is incredible, really. So listen, we're going to have more history of uh, famous clubs, unknown clubs, clubs who've uh, faded into the, the, the annals of history. Uh, we're going to be looking at all those throughout uh, Carl and Kenneth's Hitting the Bar football podcast, uh, because this is only episode three, long, long way to go. Um, another little feature we, we have on this show, <laughs> uh, that, well, another little feature that we have on this show uh, is where are they now? So I've got a couple, Steve, I'm going to run by you. Yeah, uh, the first one, Simon Garner. Now... You might remember him, folks, because he was, believe it or not, Blackburn's all-time top scorer. Not Alan Shearer, not anybody else, Simon Garner. Now, of course, like many footballers, he didn't know what he was going to do um, after football. He naturally went into being a mortgage broker. Who, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, Then he became a postman. Uh, but he's now, would you believe, Simon Garner, Blackburn's all-time top scorer, a legend at Blackburn. Is now painter and decorator. I can't really see the link between the mm. two, but splish splash loads of dosh, possibly. <laughs> um, but he said, I didn't dwell on the career change too much. I, d- I had to get on with my life and earn some money. I don't miss playing as much as I thought I would. Life goes on. I think that's a great philosophy. He could have gone into punditry. I mean, he's famous just for being the all-time top scorer at Blackburn, mm. who won the league, by the way, in those days. In, in, indeed. He, he also spent... Um, a very little bit of time at Her Majesty's Pleasure as well for <laughs> something I can't remember that he did. But, um, yeah, I, he was a great player, Simon Garner. I mean, he, he was he was a really, really pro- prolific goal scorer. Absolutely. Uh, the next one I want to tell you about is Kevin Moncow, uh, who played for Chelsea in Southampton. He was a defender. Uh, not so long ago, he retired back in 2003. Um, his family, well-known... Uh, they ran a, uh, a bistro bar and he wanted to do something uh, quite uh, similar. So when a local pancake shop was for sale, he thought, why not? What a tosser. Um, but <laughs> he purchased the shop and ran it as a family business um, for six years. He, he, he was tossing pancakes. And you go from being a footballer, uh, you know, multi-million pound footballer playing for Chelsea. Um, you know, throughout their 14-year history, um, mm. you know, and he, he played for Chelsea, and then he ends up, r- you know, serving pancakes. I mean, his f- career had gone flat, clearly. Um, but well, now he had to give it up in 2009 after he was travelling constantly between Holland and the UK. Now I'm not sure what he was doing to earn money travelling so frequently between those two very friendly countries. But however, uh, that's it. He's now 53. Works on Chelsea TV. Not quite as interesting as Arsenal TV, which we'll talk about in a future episode, because it is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, mm. He's an ambassador for the show racism, the red card campaign. Good on you, fella. Uh, he said it's a difference from uh, playing to standing behind the stove flipping pancakes. 
Mm. Well, really, I mean, thank you for explaining that to me because I, I am a football fan of you know some <laughs> years. But I always thought to myself, this is exactly the same as somebody making pancakes. Well, and now he's pointed it out, I feel a lot better. Well, we have spoken about a couple of tosses earlier on in the show, didn't we? The yes. two pitch invaders. Um, <laughs> uh, Ken, Kenny Monko actually has emulated an old Arsenal player from the 1950s. He was a goalkeeper, Dutch goalkeeper, by the name of Jerry Kayser, who was actually a very good goalkeeper. However, he... Um, Travelling from Holland to the UK, subsequently got arrested for um, bringing in far too much money into the UK and spent a small amount of time at Her Majesty's Pleasure as he well. He too much money into God. the UK. Yeah, you, you well, had... Well, I mean, they don't want limit. that, do they? No, 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 of course <laughs> not. There was a limit to how much you could... And I think there still is a limit to how much you can bring in in cash into the UK. And Jerry Kayser fell foul of it, and I believe he spent six weeks in prison. All right, this is Carlin Keller sitting in the bar. Um, from football from monocles to man buns uh, football podcast this is episode three thank you to our bar of course uh, and taxi point uh, but I do want to say a big thank you to our bar because they do provide all the equipment for us and they, they put up with us uh, and also you can catch us here in our bar in the old Soco Centre Calahonda every Saturday afternoon on 93.6 Global Radio you're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Yes, indeed. Uh, many thanks to our bar in the Ozoko Centre, Calahonda, and all the other people supporting us, including 93.6 Global Radio, uh, and all the people who've been supporting us so far. You know, we're on Facebook at Carl and Kenners, uh, hitting the bar. We're on Twitter, Carl and Kenners. Um, you know, we are trying to get this publicised a lot and get as much feedback as we can. Uh, so please, when you are listening to our podcast, be it on iTunes or Spotify uh, or anywhere else you can find us, just search for Carl and Kenners. And we're even on YouTube. Leave a comment. It doesn't matter if you're going to have a go at us. Uh, that's what we're here for. You know, we're an Arsenal fan and a Tottenham fan. Mm. We can sit down and talk to each other. Surely you can have a little chat with us. Um, and talking of feedback, Steve, we did have a little chat on the last couple of episodes, uh, which are now available to be listened to and downloaded. Uh, we had a chat about the Tottenham and Arsenal combined 11, something nobody really wants to see uh, as an Arsenal fan <laughs> or a Tottenham fan, <laughs> but still an intriguing prospect. Uh, and you've had some feedback. I, I have indeed from a chap by the name of Martin Franks. Um, hello, Martin, and thank you for listening. And uh, thank you to everybody else who's listening and threatening us with violence. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so, <coughs> Well, that's Ma my family for you. Well, exactly. Um, 
Arsenal's combined, um, sorry, Martin's combined Arsenal and Spurs 11 is as follows. And I think you might like this. Mm, I might not. In goal, David Seaman, right back. Lee Dixon, left back, Ashley Cole. Centre halves of Tony Adams and David O'Leary. Can I just Mid interrupt you? I, I, yeah. I sense a trend here. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can see where we're going with this, can't you? Um, a, a midfield made up of Vieira, Bergkamp, Perez and Fabregas. I wouldn't have put Fabregas in there myself, but there you go. And up front, Henri and Wright. Um, mm. Yeah, I, 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 I it's sense easy there's a chance. slight bias yes. there. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, you know, very, I'm an actor. I'm a very sensitive and perceptive person. Is he, by any chance, correct me if I'm wrong, an Arsenal fan? No, he said Hawks Wolves. <laughs> wow. No, he is an Arsenal <laughs> Well, Well, thank you for that anyway. Um, you might have misunderstood the concept or you're deliberately being <laughs> no, 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 he didn't misunderstand the concept. No, he knew exactly what he was saying and I had a smile on my face reading that well, out. Thank you for that because, I, you know, I just love the participation. Not a bad team, though. Even I mean, even I'm saying that, but you're not a bad team. Yep, thank you but for wrong. that, Martin. And your checks in the post. <laughs> Peter check. Oh. Yes. Um, or as the vampire, the you know, the check is in the post, or the post is in the check. Um, oh. then, yes, Transylvania and all that. Uh, let's move on then. That is our combined eleven. I'm so um, sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah, listen, nobody's paying for this. Um, and I That's will sack. I, I would sack the uh, the scriptwriter, but it's me, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Moving on. Let's move on. Um, so that's a combined 11, Steve. So, speaking of combined 11s, we were speaking in our last episode of a combined Eng or a, 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 an England 11 from 1975 onwards. And we got this far, or thus far. Thus far. If we're being posh, it's thus mm. far. <coughs> in goal, we have David Seaman. At right back, Phil Neal. At left back, Ashley Cole. At centre half, we had Dave Watson of Manchester City and Southampton and Werder Bremen fame, mm -hmm. and Rio Ferdinand alongside him. Now, I would have put Tony Adams in there, but we did not want to make this Arsenal-centric, and Tony Adams is on the bench, so he will be in the squad. Um, but we're going to look at the midfield now. So, yes. Chris, Jeff. Yeah, we've got Jeff Saunders here, West Ham fan and special guest. Uh, your thoughts on, uh, especially the midfield of an England, uh, best England performers, players, since 75. Okay. Gascoigne has to be the first name on the list. Yes. He does, doesn't he? I mean, just just, just for his performances and the way he delights the crowd and the way he changed, game, changed games for England. Yeah. Robson. Brian Robson. Fighter. Yeah. A good goal scorer, too. Good goal scorer, absolutely, uh, yeah. As, as he showed in the World Cup. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm struggling a bit now. There's a fellow called David Beckham. No. Who took us to a World Absol Cup final by getting Absolutely that last-minute goal against Greece. Just for that alone. Just for that alone, surely. I would have suggested Steve Koppel in David Beckham's position. I think Steve Koppel was a better player, quite frankly. I, I really think Steve Koppel, um, all round, he could run, he could tackle. Well, that's an interesting point, Jeff. Yeah, well, whenever Beckham has played in a World Cup or a Euro Championships... The journalists do their team of the of the tournament, and he hasn't even made it to the second team of those teams of the tournament. He he is he is a great guy, absolutely fantastic guy, yes. great father. He has been superb at marketing himself, but he has never ever been. But he has a world class player. 
I mean, there have just been those moments, and I urge anybody, um, you know, if you're ever feeling down about football, there is a, a wonderful YouTube video of that game against Greece where England need to draw, needed to draw just to get through. Um, and it's like there's a, a highlight, a YouTube video. Uh, England were down and out. Greece were 1-0 up at Wembley. I think it was at Wembley. It was in England anyway. Uh, Greece were 1-0 up unexpectedly. Uh, there's a highlight video. Uh, the England team have just given up, but Beckham is going for every ball, every tackle. It was after, of course, the red card in Argentina in the, uh, against Argentina in the last competition, uh, and he he basically reinvents himself in front of the fans. He would not give up, and it's a, it, it's it is a goosebump moment watching that video. He just went for every single ball. He wouldn't give up, and then he scored in the last second. He scored a fantastic free kick and that's possibly the sentimental reason that I wanted to include him and also with along with Jeff I do think he's a great guy you know he's a very good role model he's a good parent he's a fantastic businessman um, you know if you look back on his career when he was on the Ali G show he could hardly speak uh, for himself um, but now you know he's done very well for himself good luck to him but we don't think he's good enough for an all-time since 75 England 11 so fair enough can we have him on the bench Come on, let's go score a late come free on, kick. Come on for the, the free kick in the 90th minute. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all right, thank you. Yeah. And um, I definitely have Chris Waddle in the midfield as well. Well, he made out, he made out Arsenal and, and uh, Tottenham combined 11. <laughs> he probably should make the... Um, and, and no, no, and I, 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 well. I disagree. I disagree with Chris Waddle. Tony Curry. Wow. Do you know what? When I was a small child, because I don't want to give my age away, I did go to uh, Wembley to watch England against Hungary. Mm. And, there was a, and I was behind the goal, and there was a wonderful... It was England against Hungary. There was a wonderful banner that said, we're not Hungary, we've got curry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and we went on to win 5-2, I believe, and Keegan got a hat-trick. That's how long that was. I, I've got to say, curry on the left, but with Barnes on the bench. Ooh, because I, I loved watching John Barnes. John Barnes was an awesome player. Um, and he was he was a really good player at in, uh, uh, international level. So I, I would look at look at Barnes. I mean, this this is something I think we're going to discuss over three episodes, you know. Yeah, definitely. This is going to be an ongoing discussion because we want your feedback. Mm. Uh, put them on the comments, uh, whether you're viewing us. I'm going to give you a little list. iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, Podcast, uh, Anchor, or Spreaker. You can find us on all those. Uh, you've already found us if you're listening to this. Mm. Um, but put your comments wherever you find them and let us know what you think. This is an ongoing uh, conversation, obviously. Yeah, and if you're not listening, we will pay handsomely for you to listen. Yes. Well, not in our case handsomely, but... Well, we'll pay. Yeah, that's, why that's why you're not watching We're the desperate. video. Yes. Um, <laughs> listen, there's been some big news this week. There's been some big news this week. Obviously, you know, you will be listening in the future. Uh, what were the lottery numbers? No, uh, this week uh, there was some big news. Um, Zinedane Zidane has returned to Real Madrid, having been uh, out for eight months. He was uh, exhausted and left Real Madrid, having won the Champions League with them. Um, Scolari came in. Got sacked. Well, actually, no. Before him, there was the uh, the Spain manager. Who that that? How did that work out for you? Um, Not great. Um, then um, obviously Scolari came in, and Zidane is back now. For me, they are saying they're going to spend a lot of money. Today they announced, um, and it is the twelfth of March. In case you're interested, mm. um, today they announced that they're going to make three hundred million available to him. Not enough. If he wants to build that super mega team, and they're talking about Neymar and Mbappe, possibly even Ericsson from Tottenham, and many other players, and the I mean, you know, how much are they going to get for a 29-year-old Gareth Bale at this point? They've got to sell a lot of players. They're going to have to get rid of a few players. Um, are they going to build a super team, Jeff? And are is it 
for me, I I I I I hint I I I sense failure here. I think Zidane is not going to have the 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 luck he had or the, the the success he had before. I think it's going to be a lot tougher than he thinks. Uh, well, whether it will be tougher than he thinks, um, um, I don't know. I suspect it won't be, but it will be much tougher than last time. No question. Um, Real Madrid need to clear out a lot of players. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Tony Cruz, for example, has got to go. He's past his sell-by date. Modric is past as well. I think they'll keep this go. They certainly should. The problem with getting rid of Bale is he's been paid 600000 a week. Yes. So who can yeah. afford him apart from PSG? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they'd have to sell somebody to, to fit him in anyway. Yeah. Um, now, it, 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 is, it is a fact in football that, that when the player hasn't pushed for a transfer himself, when it's forced on him, which it looks like it will be for Bale, the selling team pays up his contract. So Real Madrid are in a position, if they want to get rid of him, they're going to have to transfer him, give him £30 million for the rest of his mm. contract to go, and someone else has got to pay, pay him, what, 400 grand a week? Yeah, I mean, there was suggestion this week, um, especially from Spanish correspondents working for Sky and the BBC, that Real Madrid are that happy to offload him and make a killing, selling him for 100 million, that they'd be prepared, if it was Manchester United or even Tottenham or possibly PSG, to stump up 70% of his wages. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who knows? We don't know what's going to happen at this stage on the day that we're doing this. Uh, but, Steve, just one more comment about Real Madrid. They are going to have a clear out. Quite clearly, um, yeah, got to, do you think Zidane to. is a good? I mean, obviously, apparently Mourinho was lined up for the job, and a l a many of the first team squad who will be there next year, possibly not Bale or Modric, uh, said that they didn't want to play for him. What a surprise! We can understand that. We know what's happened with Man United and Chelsea. Um, that's why they went for Diz uh, Zidane. But is is it a surprise choice? It's a bit like the saying, "Well, there's nobody else." Is there nobody else? And why why is he going back? Who's who's available to take that job on? I mean, if if well, you not Ranieri, he's just going to no. Roma. So. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's had a result at Roma as well. Yeah, his first game um, he won two one. Yeah, well done. I, you've got to look at who's available. You've got to look at the money that's available. You've got to look at the contracts the player the players are on. Um, now, Zidane is um, what I'd call an everyman. He will get on with. Absolutely anybody except for Marco Materazzi, um, yeah. <laughs> who we mentioned earlier on, actually. Yes, actually yeah, yeah. Um, but but um, some very good points have been hit on here. Um, Gareth Bale, you know, even on 70% of his wages, that's still going to be over £400,000 for, 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 for a 29-year-old yeah. to, to stump up for a 29-year-old. 19 he's goals in 30 uh, 33 Yeah, I mean, games he's so not got a season. bad return. Mm. He's not got a bad... I mean, look, Zidane does not have a bad return. Uh, sorry, Zidane does not have a bad squad to work with and Bale does not have a bad return as a mm. player. So, um, will he work with the current squad? I think the majority of the squad he will be able to work with. I think that he's going to need at least two players. I think he's going to need another defender. He's going to need another striker as well. I think the current squad are going to remain as they are. Right. All right. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we're going to watch developments over the next few episodes. Uh, but Real Madrid is uh, an exciting and interesting prospect. Maybe, you know, they're going to have to... I mean, the Spanish press said they were dead and buried and they need to re be resurrected. Maybe that's what's happening. Uh, right, Steve. Uh, last item of the show, really. Right, yes. Uh, 
Okay, we like our combined 11s, so we're going to look at Man United yeah, versus but enough about Man my, uh, City. Yeah, personal life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let, let's, not, let's not go into that. That's <coughs> what she said. I feel a bit uncomfortable now. Uh, Man, Man United and Man City 11 since 1975. Now, we're going to start with the goalkeeper and defenders, and then we'll carry over, obviously, as we do, to the next episode. So, my view in goal. Schmeichel. Greenoff at right back, Donnerkey at left back, Big Dave Watson in the centre, along with Steve Bruce. You can tell wow. I've been doing some research here. Absolutely. They're, they're, this is an interesting prospect. We want you to comment on this. We want you to, to... You can join us on Facebook and do it immediately. Carl and Kenners hitting the bar. You can find us on Facebook. Give your comments on that, on mm. everything we've mentioned on today's show. Um, we're available on, as I say, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify. Just search for Carl and Kenner, Steve. What a great show. Um, I want to say before, because we've got a little couple of things to say yeah. before we go. Absolutely. Thank you to Taxi Point. Thank you to our bar. Uh, thank you to our special guest, uh, Jeff Saunders, who is a West Ham fan. Before I go, three words, Jeff. The rest of the season for West Ham. And you wanted to say something about Fulham. Um, well, first of all, about Fulham. I don't think they'll get a single point between now and the end of the season. We shall see. Now we're going to take you on that word because this is the 12th of March. Let's see what happens before that, until then. Yeah. And West Ham, are you waiting till the end of the season so you can rebuild again? No, I think I think we've got pretty much the squad we want there. Brilliant. I don't think, okay. I don't think there'll be big changes at the end of the season. No. Brilliant. I think it's a very, very good squad. And now Lanzini's come in and started to perform. I think we'll, we'll be aiming for sixth next season. Absolutely brilliant. We won't get it, but we'll no. <laughs> You'll be aiming for it, like Tottenham are <laughs> aiming for fifth. Um, right, I'm going to uh, go back to Steve Kenton and say, um, Carl and Kenton's hitting the bar, available on all good platforms. Uh, this was episode three, um, you know, the difficult third album. It wasn't, was it? What a great... Uh, no, mean, no, no, no. Some e stuff. We, we haven't had enough time to fill, uh, fill all the items that we wanted to, to talk about, really. No, but so therefore... Uh, we've got a lot to talk about on episode four. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Our Bar. Thank mm. you to Taxi Point and Compsis uh, in the El Zocco Centre, Cala Honda, here on the Costa del Sol. Join us on iTunes. Join us on uh, Spotify and all good platforms. And join us for episode four, coming shortly, of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar Football, from monocles to man buns. Good night. been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.